Hello and welcome to Music Therapy and Beyond. I'm Elizabeth and today I am very excited to welcome Andrea Green and Haley Shin to the podcast to talk about inclusive musical theater. Andrea Green is a music therapist, composer, playwright, and director who creates and produces songs and musicals for children to foster empathy, understanding, acceptance, and respect. Her shows are performed across the globe. Andrea is the 2019 recipient of the Teacher as Hero Award from the National Liberty Museum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And in 2014, her inclusive work was honored with a proclamation from the city of Philadelphia. Andrea's work is the subject of the 2015 Emmy Award-winning documentary On the Other Side of the Fence, which also received a humanitarian award from the United Nations and numerous other film awards. Andrea Green's numerous songs and musicals are published by Concord Theatricals and Andrea Green Music. She worked for 40 years as a music therapist at the HMS School for Children with Cerebral Palsy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is now uniting diverse groups of children around the world with her Under the Moon song project. Andrea has a Bachelor of Music degree from the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida, and a Master's in Creative Arts Therapy from Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Haley Shin is the co-founder of Music Therapy Made Simple, an online resource community and supervision source for music therapists. Haley Shin currently works for a private practice in Central Missouri and completed her master's in music therapy at Colorado State University while working as a graduate teaching assistant. Prior to graduate school, she worked in West Virginia for three years and played an integral role in the program development of a private practice, school-based IEP services, school-based programmatic services, community programs, and an inclusive musical theater program. She has clinical experience with a wide variety of populations, including early childhood, children and adolescents with autism and other special needs, emotional and behavioral disorders, stroke and rehabilitation, and elder care. She's passionate about increasing access to services, loves the challenges and outcomes from program development, and is always excited to connect with music therapists to help them stay confident and creative in their service delivery. We can't wait to get to this episode. Let's go. title track of Andrea Green's musical, On the Other Side of the Fence. On the other side of the fence, on the other side of the barnyard fence, another farm from the one I know. It's still a place that I'd like to 
side of the fence On the other side of the barnyard fence Another world from the one I know It's still a place I'd like to go Animals eating, drinking, sleeping When the day is almost through Animals working, playing, doing what they like to do Learning things from day to day Growing up in different ways Maybe I should take a ride over to the other side Hello and welcome to the Music Therapy and Beyond podcast, everyone. Hi. Hello. So nice to have you all here. Um, I'm Elizabeth, and today we have Andrea Green and Haley Shin with us, and we are going to be talking about inclusive musical theater and more specifically about the production On the Other Side of the Fence, which was composed and written by Andrea Green. And so we're going to hear all about it and just hopefully give you all kinds of really good information about what it's all about and why you should think about putting this production on yourself someday. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, yeah, so I would love it, Andrea, if you could just give us sort of a brief um, introduction, a little bit about yourself, um, your background, and then kind of how you came to create this magical play. Well, I'm happy to be here and to see both of you and to know that you both have uh, had experience with On the Other Side of the Fence. I I wrote the show in 1982. Where were you? <laughs> Not born yet. <laughs> I was working at the HMS School for Children with Cerebral Palsy, which is in uh, Philadelphia. It's a private school. And I worked there for actually 35 years. I won't tell you how old I am. <laughs> um, and awesome. my, my, my background was um, I went to uh, University of Miami School of Music, music therapy major. Um, then I got my master's uh, in creative arts in therapy from Drexel University, which at that time was called was Hahnemann Medical College. And one of my jobs, my first job working with children was at the HMS school. I had been working a lot with, with adult in adult psychiatric. Um, and then I had this um, opportunity and I started to work with these kids who were severely um, physically disabled. And the school was looking for a way to partner with a school with kids, typical kids a private school called Germantown Friends School, because both both places wanted a way for their children to have a different experience than just with their own school. And I was, um, I'm, I'm trying to really condense this, um, but um, I was sitting at a meeting and where teachers from the school, uh, the HMS school, were saying that they did not want children to come into their into their school um, and to kind of patronize their children um, to you know bring them gifts and to kind of do something for them. They wanted something that would be a mutual experience. 
something had already been tried at the school, kind of a recreational activity um, that that didn't go over so well. Um, and as I was sitting there listening to the teachers saying, like, we don't want to do this anymore unless it's going to be something that's really going to be valuable, valuable to our children. And I was sitting there and I thought, I don't know why, but it, on the other side of the fence popped into my head when I was sitting there. And I thought, maybe I could write a musical. <laughs> and that was, oh and, and I like, I raised my hand and I, I said, you know, I'm the music therapist here. I, I think I had never written a musical before. I had written songs <laughs> and I was probably 28 years old at that, at the time. And I said, give me a chance, like, give me a couple of weeks. I have an idea. And I went home and I just wrote the show. Like, it just poured out of me. I was so inspired and I really felt that there was, that I could create this framework that would allow these two groups to come together. So that was really how it all began. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really incredible <laughs> to hear that it, just came about organically as a therapeutic need in the setting that you happen to be working in at the time, because I find that really inspiring because sometimes it's hard when you're doing the work to feel inspired. So yeah, that's, that's just really cool. I just think that is never ever been a thought in my head. Like, let me just create a whole musical get a song or let me create a day where they can come together and create, make music together. Something like that. You're like, we'll just, we'll just do like a music therapy group sort of activity. <laughs> I, I love the vision. Um, were you like intimidated? Did you, you... <laughs> in a very abbreviated form, when I had this idea, uh, people thought I was like really crazy and there's no way like of write a musical. And and um, and meanwhile, we had very severely, uh, you know, kids with most of the kids are nonverbal. They use assistive devices. Um, and, you know, to partner these children and how they were going to sing. And um, I mean, I didn't realize after I wrote the musical, I realized that this that I could improvise, I could adapt this to whatever uh, these children, both groups of children, um, using assistive devices, the assistive technology. I see that you did it with this production. I noticed some computers, things like that. Um, and back when I first started, there were no assistive devices. It was like they were like looking with their mm -hmm. eyes on a board. Um, and it was there was more nonverbal. There was more left. There, we didn't have the technology that we now have, which is a whole new, a whole new area. Um, but you know, the amazing thing is that I did this for 35 straight years with the HMS school kids um, and this other group for 30 years, and it's like amazing what the it was like. But I and I wrote other musicals. Um, it was on the other side of the fence was the first, but creating kind of like this framework, this structure with these songs, and to be able to like adapt it. And I'm really excited to hear what you did. I mean, I can't. I really want to hear what you did. 
Um, but that's just kind of like how it started. I'm kind of curious, considering when this all started, you know, we use the term inclusive musical theater now, but I imagine back then, like, what what was it even called? What was the conversation around that? What did that look like at that time? It didn't it didn't have any anything at all. I, I mean, I called it a ther the therapeutic musical. I mean, that's how it developed, the therapeutic mm -hmm. musical. Um, and and also when I when other groups started to ask me to go and do this production, whether it was like a public school, okay, or it was it it I realized that this kind of music therapy framework conducted by a music therapist who has the musical skills to kind of pull it off could be with any kind of diverse group. It could be with kids like in a public school who, you know, the schools are having so many problems today, the diversity, the, you know, the where there's so many needs for children to feel accepted and, and to be with other children. The musical is such a great way for kids to all feel like they play a part, they all have something to contribute. And then when they're singing together or they're helping each other, they feel these things through the music, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's just incredible to think about because it wasn't on my radar at all until I met Haley and she joined our practice in Missouri. And I was just learning about her history as a music therapist. And I was like, oh, wait, that's the thing that people are doing. That's awesome. <laughs> Why isn't that happening everywhere? So I, whether she liked it or not, I was like, this is happening. You're teaching me how to do this. I don't care what we have to do to figure it out. I want to understand what this is and I want to make it happen. So I think it's come a long way, but there's still, I think, a lot of people who have no idea that musical theater isn't naturally inclusive as an environment and a setting. And um, it's not something I think that we all think about. I think that um, this is where the music therapist really has um, a purpose, a music therapist that has, you know, the, the musical skills, the therapeutic skills, and um, where they, they're able to do something. It's, they are putting on a production, mm -hmm. okay, and you want to have something, a good product at the end because everybody feels good about it, but it's like the process that you go through. And uh, only a music therapist, oh, yeah. I mean, well, look, there are theater directors that, that have these skills. They work with children that, and they, you know, all the kids have a part. I don't know about you, but I grew up where only like the best kids got the best parts. Everybody else stood, went off to the side. They weren't included. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. what that felt like. I did not like it because I knew that I had ability and, and I was shy and I, you know, when I'd get up, it was like, I couldn't do it. It was hard. And, you know, I wish that somebody at that time had said, Andrea, you know, do something supportive to me to give me that confidence. Mm -hmm. right? And it's not always about, it's not always about um, what happens along the way that really means so much. Right. I mean, music therapists, really, this is just an area that music therapists um, could can really make a difference. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, 
You do need strong musical skills, though. I would say that that's, I would probably emphasize that. <laughs> yeah, we would say that really we want any music therapist to have strong musical skills, but I think certainly with musical theater, there's a separate skill set within that in terms of proficiency that would certainly be preferred if you are going to be leading the charge with that, or you would want to surround yourself with people that really had really good accompaniment skills and they were able to pace and adapt. Um, and I, I think that's why we make a great team as music therapists for this production, because we all have different skills and area of expertise. And so we brought all of that into our production and we teamed up with a disability empowerment foundation who brought all of their expertise um, in what they know about working with um, disabled children and making sure everything's accessible and that we're really providing appropriate supports and accommodations with every experience that we bring. So I think thinking even broader than the music therapy, we were also thinking about just the entire community. Who's everybody that's doing this work and how can we include them in this mm -hmm. so that we are actually doing everything that we promise when we say we're putting on an inclusive production. Right. And another thing, I, you know, that I would love to talk to you another time, but is, is, <laughs> but is the imp the impact that it has on an on the audience? I mean, there's the whole thing that how each child is involved and how what their experience is, mm -hmm. right? But also what the impact is on people who experience it. And I I'd like to I think there needs to be more like research on that or you mm -hmm. know. When I think of 30 years that that these children sitting in the audience as they went through first through 12th grade, every year they saw this production, it absolutely made change their way that they thought about people with disabilities. Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. they got to see it. And the public needs to see it, right? Mm -hmm. I okay, I want to hear about oh, your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really want to hear all the details of that first production, too. I feel like we all want to know all the details of everything. But I wonder if maybe this would be a cool time to have Haley speak about her first time putting this production on and then maybe talking about doing it again and what that experience was like, because it's totally different for Haley than it is for me. I had the wonderful pleasure of putting this on in West Virginia through their Center for Excellence and Disabilities with, um, at the time, Katie Martin and Nicoletta Trump and Dina Register. And it was so fun. I, I don't remember how Katie was the mastermind behind all of the program there. We called it, in West Virginia, we called it Dreamcatcher. So she was just like our truly like guide in all of this and somehow got connected with you found this show told all of us i've been at the perfect show it's going to be amazing and we got the music started listening to everything and was truly like oh my gosh it's going to be so fun and the program itself looked very different from what we have here but it was very fun. One of the biggest differences between the two programs is over there in West Virginia, we partnered with the Occupational Therapy School and students did a practicum with Dreamcatchers. So they were placed to help support the cast as they worked on stage. That was cool. It was I so cool. I, yeah, I really liked seeing that because I, I that was something I had not thought about before about um, 
adults, adult, you know, the their occupational students being part of the show. That was a great, great idea. It was very cool. I'm, but that was probably a Dina idea. Some of her big, big idea, beautiful things that she does. And it was unique too, because you're, you think like these college students are gonna like teach them what to do sort of thing. And it's like, no, you're not there to teach them. You're just there to support them and to get some time to remind them like that we're paying attention. But seeing them change and adapt while working with the students where the students are a little bit shy. And so like the cast is a little bit shy. So now the OT students have to maybe try and come out of their shell because a lot of them like singing and theater and being on stage is like not their jam. That's not why they got into OT. <laughs> maybe they've never done it before in their life. So it was a cool dynamic being able to see both sides of that, of like the growth of the people in the cast who the program was really intended for, but also the changes in the OT students and just how they interacted with one another and with the cast and like being on stage and like having to like smile on stage, you know, put on like all those stage things. Right. How did the uh, students in that production relate to the story on the other of uh, you know, the fence and the two pigs? What did they have? Were they able to understand it? Yeah, the children that were in it. Yes. Yeah, I would say they absolutely understood it. Mm -hmm. At least definitely for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes it really helpful is like having the visuals so if you're if you're listening to this you're like what are you guys talking about <laughs> the premise of on the other side of the fence is that there's two farms and they're separated by a big fence and they don't talk to each other because the other side is different the other side is bad the other side like we they're just something else and we don't have anything to do with them and now an excerpt from the song mind your own business mind your own business stay over here Stick to your own farm, is that clear? Mind your own business, we've got troubles of our own. Don't get involved, leave the other farm alone. Mind your own business, mind your own business, it all makes perfect sense. Mind your own business, do what I say, stay away from the barnyard fence. Mind your own there's a little romance that happens. The farms then work together. And by the end of the show, the fence is taken away. The farmers shake hands. Everyone's friends. There's this process of overcoming differences and learning about acceptance and like being different's okay. And we can talk to people and hang out with people, even though they might not look and do everything like we do. So I think one of the things that helps with the show is having some of those very concrete language as well as visuals of we don't talk to them and they're having that fence just right down the middle of the stage like all oh, right you're not on my farm mm -mm. i'm not gonna talk to you and then by the end taking it away and being like wait we're all just one farm so i think this there's a lot of things naturally worked into the show that help the cast and the audience and everyone just like understand like what is happening here what is you know the message of this um 
And so I would say absolutely the cast like understood what was going on. And we saw the same thing here. I don't know. I would say in just people recognizing at first their own farms. We started doing a lot of farm activities. All right, farm one over here, farm two over here. Like we started dividing them. I mean, sometimes we, I mean, we needed to divide them because of the music. Farm one says it, then farm two says right. it. Like, <laughs> structurally, they say there are groups. And then at the end, one of the things that I really liked, we worked with the choreographer that helped us with stuff, was mixing people between the farms um, at the end, like for the hoedown song, and having the pig from farm A and the pig from farm B stand next to each other, and the farmer A and farmer B, and the owl A and owl B, and just like all of the, the different parts, like now you're standing next to each other because we're friends and we can mix and mingle. Right. I, it's funny, uh, you're making me think too of when the fir- when I did this the first year, everybody thought I was nuts and I was the only person doing any of it. I mean, the teachers were like, okay, we'll do this. Yeah, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make some costumes or whatever. We're, and then you go forward 30 years. I'm not kidding. I was like fighting people off of me. Everybody wanted to do this. I had dance, dance specialists, the art specialists, all the occupational, the speech, everybody got involved, all of the assistive device people. It was just amazing. The maintenance from beginning to end, it goes to show you that over time, it, it you you find, you, you kind of basically prove your initial premise. It just takes people time, you know? And it was in the end, it's like, oh my God, it's like all these people want to be involved. And it was just, you know, it, but in the beginning, it was like I was all by myself. I mean, we had trouble here initially recruiting people to our program because they had no understanding of what it was, I think. There were so many people that are like, what is it and how does it work and I've never heard of that show and I I don't know what any of this is um and so our you know our actual group of kiddos was a lot smaller but in the end what I observed was they actually lived out the message of the play in the process of creating the play so they started out sort of standoffish from one another and by the end you know they were friends and they worked through it naturally and some of them might have had more trouble verbally articulating the concept of the play, but they actually just lived it out in real time from the first rehearsal to the final performance to the cast yeah. party afterwards. It, that's what it was. They were friends by the end and they weren't looking at each other as someone who was different. They were just their friend and that was it. Right. That's so important. The other thing I you know, along those same lines. And I've had this conversation so many times with the art person, the art person that, um, you know, a lot of people, the teachers or even the parents, they want to see you, the kids do something, just do. And a lot of the, a lot of the children I was working with, they were, you know, uh, you know, in wheelchairs, nonverbal, um, and, but very much involved but you couldn't see it that much. You tried to get them as involved as much, you know, hit a hit a switch and make the sound of, um, you know, an animal sound or sing the line of the song or whatever. But I kept saying, you know, that don't, you know, you have to real, we have to realize, and even telling the audience this, that just because someone is not doing something, actively showing it does not mean they're not actively involved. Just a lot of those changes and recognitions is, 
really powerful and powerful. Like we get to see a lot of the change over time, obviously. We see them day one all the way through to the end. And we see how they come in and they're like sitting by themselves and they don't want to talk to other people and they're shy or they're just wary because it's different and I don't know what's going on here or I don't want to like hurt their feelings by asking a question or I think they're kind of weird and so I don't want to go close to them or just whatever their brain is saying about these things or I just don't know how to interact with someone that looks that way or and just just all of those pieces and then seeing like halfway through the process oh you guys are just like you're getting here a few minutes early so you can like hang out with each other and play around and like run and like do some gamey kind of things and you're making jokes with each other and by the end like we had our cast party last night and two people who at the beginning of the show I'm like mm, I'll, we'll see what happens we'll see if they like form a friendship through this process and just even and they were even actually even on different farms and so even just like limiting interactions then because they sat far away from each other and stuff and at the end they were tag teaming jokes last night you start it and I'll end the joke and just like these interactions that just become so natural mm-hmm. and they look like you've been friends for a long time. It's like, look, you were here at rehearsal one, you know that it's not what that looked like. And now it's extra special to me because we got to see the growth of all of that. But I even think still both in West Virginia and here, just like some of the audience members that didn't see the process and only saw the product which is still really special and really important. Like these kids had something, one of the parents commented to us that their child felt proud of themselves at the end of the show. They were like, I, like that they verbalized, I'm proud of myself for doing that, which they should be because there's a lot of people that like don't get on a stage (laughs) and like public speaking and acting, singing, all of that. Like people don't do that. You should be proud of yourself for that. So I'm glad like the product part of that is still important, but as therapists, we also know the process is really important. But still, the audience, I think, can see and infer some of that process. Like, I bet this didn't look like this day one. And one of the guardians came up to me and said, it's <laughs> so funny, especially having done this in West Virginia, where I kind of ha- thought the same thing. So I thought, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I have faith in the process and I know what the therapeutic process can look like over time. And it turned out way more magical than I thought it would be and way more powerful than I thought it would be. And so I went into this program knowing what things can look like and just hoping that we could get somewhere like that. Obviously, like with different people, it's going to look different. But I was like, at some point, we're going to get there, right? We're going to get there. And it was funny when the parent came up to me and was like, you know, rehearsal one, we walked out and I thought, how in the world is she going to have these kids work better to put on the show? It's right. crazy. And you <laughs> and know what? It was, and it was great. <laughs> and it comes back to, again, to what you did as the music therapist to facilitate that and to help the kids feel secure with how it happened. Because you could, you could see the whole thing bombing, not working. But if it's done the right way and there's the right kind of support, it right? I mean, a lot of has to do with what you did to help those kids feel um, safe. And now, 
A quick announcement about our affiliate partner, Makey Makey. We have been using Makey Makey for years and love the multi-sensory component and creativity this tool provides. We are so excited to now have a partner affiliation with them. So you can use our link and the code MTB to get your very own Makey Makey Classic for 10% off. The Makey Makey is a creative and adaptable way to use touch to create electronic music interactions. This could be a great way to build rapport in early sessions, to allow disabled clients to explore musical creativity with just the touch of a button, and for clients that have an affinity for technology, or perhaps even virtual clients, to empower them to engage in music in a meaningful way. Remember to order using code MTB for 10% off. You can go to the link in our bio at our Instagram to find the direct link to purchase. We hope you have fun using this amazing clinical tool. Feel free to email us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com with questions and be sure to tag us in your social media posts when you get your own Makey Makey and start getting creative. Right. I mean, a lot of has to do with what you did to help those kids feel um, safe. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the the aspects of musical theater as the medium for the therapeutic work is that because of the boundaries around it, is the structure of the music and knowing that there's things that we can put into place to help everyone be successful in their own way that creates this sense of safety where they then go, okay, I can do this. And then they do do it. And then they recognize that they did it. And like that's big. And, and in a large scale too. Because sometimes you put in a lot of those processes within like a one-on-one session where they learn how to play the ukulele or they learn the song and the piano, which is like maybe a little more like similar just to being in a musical. But the big act of like being in a musical and performing in front of a large audience it's like a really big feat instead of just with your private therapist or something and now i'm jumping in again that's making me think about this but so many years of kids who are really like kids that are from typical or gifted uh you know that are part that i partner with kids from these various different schools but those kids benefit the same way in in a in a flip version like kids that feel like they have to be perfect everything's about how well you perform you know and here they are partnered with a kid who's uh, drooling and you know nonverbal and smiling at them and they're helping them and their partner is like sings you know, ah, it hits the note and is like performing and they're so happy for their partner and they realize they, they get that what is what is most important here? You know, they, mm-hmm. they feel differently. They, they start to let go of this like, oh, my God, you know, I have to be I have to play the violin. I have to be on a sports team. I have to, this, 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 this. And then they're partnered with a child who is, you know, who who's so with them, so present and it's singing with an assistive mm-hmm. device. And it's like they get humbled yeah. by the experience. We should really talk about that for a second because we did utilize peer buddies every single rehearsal 
and at the performance with like our seating arrangements and how everything was set up. And that was a big part of the success success of it, at least in Columbia. I'll let Haley speak to West Virginia. But the typically typically developing kiddos that were in the program or ones that just were naturally a little more confident and comfortable were paired with um, kids that we knew would need that little bit of extra support and encouragement to to really embrace their role and to to try their best and um, and that that peer would be able to kind of model this is what it looks like to to do this part and to say this line and to sing this song um, and for me that was one of my favorite parts of the whole process was seeing the peer buddies and just seeing them take leadership and ownership of their partner's role and making sure that they hit their marks and that they got their lines and they would even like feed them their lines if they needed to and that was really cool personally for me to see and I'm curious if that's something you ever used, Andrea, and I'm also curious if, Haley, that was also in place the first time you did this. I, you know, I feel like I've done that all along, um, but the, uh, you, know, you know, just kind of unconsciously, the kids that are the buddies or the helpers, um, you know, they, I, I try to e equalize it. Like, let's say the song is, um, we've got to work together. And so the child is singing, you know, the, the um, kid with the assistive device you starts off and you hear it and it's maybe a little hard to understand you know sometimes it's a little hard um or the kids trying to sing it with a microphone and it's still hard and then their their buddy sings it again the same line okay so it's it's reintroduced so the audience knows exactly you know it just gets clarified what that was and that but their partner they're you know that feeling and they they feel this kind of you know, they're helping. You'll have to, I don't know if you've seen the documentary yet um, on the other side of the fence, but there's um, there's a little sequence in there where this one, the one girl is singing um, Good Friends with her assistive device and her partner's like holding, she's like leaning forward, she's hitting a switch and her partner's like holding her ponytail up in the air, you know, so it doesn't get like onto the switch. And then after, you know, she hits it and, her, you know, assistive, the communicative voice sings, you know, good friends should stick together. And when she finishes it, she looks up at her partner. You can see it in the film. And she's so excited. And her partner is so happy that she hit the switch and that the voice came out. And you can see that feeling of how they connected, you know. I mean, this is what music therapy is. should stick together in the bad times as well as the good friends should share some secrets open some doors good friends could be there when you need them ready to listen no matter what the time of day good friends should This is what music therapy is. Yeah, connecting in music, having, being able to share in whatever that space is, but through music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that, the buddies, and were there, do you think it will continue like this 
these connections? Are there ways to keep them connected or? Well, interestingly, where we live, it's a town of 100,000 or so plus or minus college students, but it functions very much like a small town. Like I, I was helping with this production and then I took my kids to an obstacle course that the city was hosting the next day. And I saw all of the kids from the production <laughs> at the same event and they were all talking to each other and being friendly with each other. And so I think our community in particular, it's even easier than it might be elsewhere for them to stay connected because we also have a local um, funding source for um, neurodivergent kiddos. That That's how they access a lot of their services like therapeutic writing, music therapy, speech therapy, all these other things. And so they come into all these similar places and spaces for services. And um, so I personally think that they're going, a lot of them will stay connected because of the way this community in particular operates and just, um, and because they did form actual friendships at the end of the day. And they, um, they were asking when they were going to see them again or say, like, without thinking, saying like, oh, I'll see you Tuesday. It's like, well, actually we're done rehearsing. <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have to figure out when we're going to see you, but that's great that you want to see each other. And I think it was genuine and that there'll be many, many opportunities. One of the things that I love, it was, it was intentional. I was hoping would happen is that the buddies weren't like just assigned, but over a few weeks and it took us a little bit to get there where we thought, I'm like, oh, they're, they would really benefit from a buddy, from someone modeling to them or just sitting next to them. But I wasn't just going to force somebody to do because I wanted it to be a natural thing. But like, okay, over the past few times, you all seem to have connected. So let's try pairing you formally up as like buddies. We'll sit you next to each other, put you on the same farm or whatever that was, would look like. And I think that really helped without, it wasn't just like I looked at a roster before everyone got there and I'm like, Jack and Mary are going to be buddies. And it's like, we took a few weeks to get to know everybody and then to get to know each other. That's true. And then because of that, then these organic bonds just started to happen. And I think that is probably going to be the biggest part on some of these friendships continuing because it wasn't forced at the beginning and then they enjoyed the fun part of the production all of that all of those different pieces and then had this shared big impacting shared experience together and with some of them just depending on where they live like some people live a little bit outside of town or they go to different schools or different things so some of those projects may be hard which we've all experienced you're like oh i wish i could hang out with so-and-so more often but like we just live so far away or you know that our work schedules are really opposite and I'm really happy that we have this one thing that we do once or twice a month like mm -hmm. a, a group organized event that I know that I'm going to see them there and so I think a lot of kids are looking forward to if they know that they might be more challenging to see some of their friends like just during the school year they're looking forward to doing another production, just being able to engage with their friends again in that similar space. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. A lot of uh, people have asked me, um, you know, well, why, uh, why are they two different schools that the kids are partnered together over the years? And I said, well, they are, they needed it. They asked, 
you know, I was happened to be the music therapist there, but really, um, you know, I mean, this kind of approach could be used in, in any public school. I mean, there's the inclusion aspect in the regular schools. I mean, I've done, I've done some of that, like, you know, going in as a consultant and doing a musical in the school, you know, bringing different kids that are together in the school. But I think this is really an area where music therapy, uh, music therapists can, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I would like to, I feel like, um, you know, and I've spoken to Katie about this too, when I saw her at a conference, just like how this model, you know, this idea that, you know, it's it's kind of a, a, a an area in music therapy that's like developing, um, could be kind mm -hmm. of created where music therapists could go into the schools, into the public schools for inclusion and do a musical, you know, be hired for that purpose to to bring kids together that like they're in other classes, they wouldn't normally interact with them, right? Mm -hmm. That, right? Um, it's the same idea. Um, it's just, it's a new, it's just kind of something that is, um, well, it's not that new. Yeah, but, not for you anyways. But right. I mean, <laughs> thinking about when we got our particular group of kiddos and thinking as music therapists, we were thinking about sensory needs, supports and accommodations. How are we going to slow down the music? Do we need to shorten any of the songs? Are we going to change any of the lines uh, to make sure that it was accessible for everybody, whatever level of independence they had or however much support they would need? And it was so interesting to me, um, you know, a couple of the parents of the kids who had needed higher levels of support had such lower expectations for what their child was going to do in the play mm -hmm. and we're surprised at how much we gave them to do and we're like well we want you to do everything that everybody's doing <laughs> like we want to figure out how to have you be involved yeah. the entire time not just Absolutely. you know one line on your device and then you disappear at the back of the stage for the rest of the performance um and in a moment it made me sad to think oh that's unfortunately probably what they're used to is being told that this is how much room we have for you and this is how much we can give you. Um, whereas in our program, we started in a very different place of like, we want everybody to have as much as they want. If you want to dance and you're in a wheelchair, we're going to figure it out. If you want to have lines and you have to use a switch, then we're going to figure that out. We didn't have anyone who needed Braille, but if somebody had come to us with that particular need, then we would have also figured that out for them and made sure that they had access. And I think as music therapists, that's a big part of our training and expertise is we're always thinking about all of that and making sure like, it's my job to make sure you can be successful. It's not your job to have to advocate for your own needs in terms of supports and accommodations. Oh, that's so important what you just said. And did you have, a, uh, you, did you have a pianist or did you play the piano? How did you handle that piano? We used recorded tracks for right. our production. Oh, I was worried about that, <laughs> too, because, you know, when I heard, um, of course, you know, creating those tracks for me was very expensive at the time. And I think some of them feel fast to me, like on the other side of the fence. When I heard it in Virginia, it was like, wait a minute, did I, is it, it's too fast. But, you know, I was like, I need a, there needs to be a pianist behind this. But um, did you feel like it was fast? Um. Yes, there were there were definitely songs that were too fast, but we got right. 
we, we pivoted for, I think we had, we used a live accompanist for some of the stuff in West Virginia, but here just with, we ended up doing a summer program instead of a school year program and things were condensed and it just kind of felt like things went by really quickly. And so we really had to like put things together fast, get to know the cast, put everyone in a role, everyone learn all their parts, put it together, we're yeah. enough time before it just like, oh, we've got a lot going on. And we would have liked to have a live accompanist. It just wasn't going to work out for this production. So we were just kind of forced into using the recordings. But if you, if anyone who is listening doesn't know about this, <laughs> this is one of my favorite tools that costs about $15. And it's just the app, the amazing slow downer. Oh God, I need it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I seriously think I paid $15 for it. It's like a lifetime subscription thing. I'm barely certain. Maybe it's a year. Oh, that's what it is. But even so, I would pay $15 a year for this thing. All right. And it inputs, because one of the challenges of if you take the music and slow it down is it changes the pitch of things. And the app doesn't change the pitch. Oh, wow. It keeps everything in the same pitch. The voices sound maybe just a little bit off. But all the rest of the accompaniment and instruments like don't. So that's what we were able to use. Um, like for Tattletail. Tattletail was very fast to get out of I know the words are yeah. solid. I'm stumbling over them. But yeah, I really tried pull again. Right. Because I really think that I I mean, I would probably, you know, recommend to music therapists uh to slow down the tape and but use it for teaching, but not for the show, I really think that using a regular live pianist, of course, I would like in my next life to to, to coach a company as pianists. Uh, because last week I saw a children's musical was not mine, but um, they were the kids were so good and the pianist was so bad. I mean, just was weak. <laughs> and the poor production, you had like 80 kids singing Doe a Deer, you know, and the pianist couldn't play it. Like, but a really strong accompanist, you know, who's almost like a music therapist in a way who can like follow. But using the recording with like kids with assistive devices, I think that's really challenging. Was it, I mean, Elizabeth, I mean, what do you think about that? I think for us, I certainly would have loved to have been able to do it all live. Um, but mm -hmm. I think just not just slowing it down, but we also cut out some sections and made it so that choruses doubled up next to each other so that when they sang it, they could sing at a different time. And if somebody was on a device or something else, then there was space for them to have lines or whatever else might be present. Um, and then very intentionally using the instrumental sections for the choreography of ham and bacon running away together and some of the different moments that happen. Um, and so for me, for this particular production, I think it was the way it needed to happen to make it really successful so that we, all of our team, being as small as we were, could be on the stage with the kids, making sure they hit their marks and got where they needed to. And they all had multiple costume changes. We had, you know, headbands and hats for all the creatures and so they would just change out their headbands every scene for whatever character they were playing and then go to their spot to say their line. I was grateful that I didn't have to sit at a piano 
and try to figure out how to make all of that happen because then we would have needed even more volunteers <laughs> that we did not have. Right. But now that we've done the production and we're going to be able to, you know, make a promotional video to show what it looks like and really help people to understand it. And we've got word of mouth marketing now. The next mm -hmm. time around, it'd be great to have it be live and to have more volunteers so that we actually can do it in the way that we want to do it fully with live accompaniment, with all the bells and whistles and many more people in the play and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So I mean, the good thing about the recording is that you get the you get the whole orchestra orchestral. You're not going to get that yeah. with just piano. So it's it's kind of nice for that that purpose. By the way, there is a sequel. Ooh. <laughs> I heard earlier you said I wrote other musicals and I was like, I gotta ask her about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote uh, I there's a sequel which hasn't been done a lot only because a lot of groups that did fence, they didn't want to be animals again, so they became fish or one of my other musicals. But the, the sequel's called Under the Fence. <laughs> and it's a, it's one year later on the anniversary. Um, it starts with a song called Happy Anniversary, where everybody's celebrating one whole year since the fence was taken away. Okay, <laughs> and they're all so happy, and, and then the banker comp the there's a, the banker comes and that they haven't paid their dues, and there's a drought, and everybody kind of goes back to being kind of like there's the hog that sings me 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 like hoarding water, and um, there's Karma the cow who sings. Um, uh, the song about um, singing Karma's the Cow, she she wants to bring water, you know, and everybody needs water, um, but they're hoarding it and they separate again, the fence, that thing. So um, just so you know, in the future. That's awesome. The, yeah, well, we will have to check it out. Mm -hmm. They find the hidden spring is there's a hidden spring at the very end under the fence where the fence was. Oh, so riding and they find the hidden spring. And then, of course, the then of course at the very end it starts to rain and they sing golden rain and it's a happy ending and the fence is able to go back to go away again yeah i do want to say before i forget about um your you specifically and the plays that you're writing having only experienced the one obviously now i'm going to look into all the others mm -hmm. the music i was personally nervous about it at first knowing that i didn't know it and that then I had to teach it to someone else while mm -hmm. I was learning it, <laughs> which music therapists do have to do that on the daily when it's like, oh, you want this song and I don't really know this song, so we're gonna learn it together. Um, but it was so catchy. Like the music mm -hmm. is fantastic and it was such an earworm. By the end of rehearsal, you would be leaving and you would be singing on the other side of the fence and like doing the actions. and. Um, everybody that came to the show, like um, one person that I know hadn't been at any rehearsals, hadn't heard any of the music. And he was like, the music is amazing. I love the music in the show. I was like, yeah, it's really cool. And I, I didn't know what it was until we, we did it. So I think you did a really great job with creating something that, you know, kids that are used to doing Beauty and the Beast and Charlie Brown and, you know, these five or six shows that all children's theaters tend to put on. It's really cool that we got to do something so unique, but that also had the same qualities as those other musicals where you're leaving singing the song, whatever it was that you heard, the main theme um, or oh, the song at the very end. So just very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I have 12 musicals, so you have plenty to choose from now. 
once I got started. That's awesome. Yeah, yes. we're definitely going to be looking into that. <laughs> I'm very grateful that, you know, both of you done my musicals, my shows, and, you know, being, uh, there's that side of me where there's the music therapist side of me that feels like I've been, you know, trying to, um, you know, express how this approach is one that could be very good for music therapists. And then there's the other side of me, the composer side of me that says that these musicals or that can be, um, you know, could be in a regular music class, you know, type of thing. I mean, it could be any children really could do the, these kinds of things. Um, so I'm really just trying to think, um, I've been talking to Barbara Wheeler, who I was her student uh, <laughs> for my internship, Barbara Wheeler. This is back when I was like, I don't know, 25 years old. Um, and then my friend Cindy Briggs, I don't know if you know Cindy, she was the direct, she was the head at um, Marymount College. She just retired, but you know, I've been talking to them about how can I, what can, how can this get developed more further? Um, even I spoke to Katie about this a little bit, how, how to take this and how to create more of a, of a model that let's say university uh, students could learn or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you could help with this, how to, how to make it a more formalized way of of where students could learn this this approach yeah i mean i will say watching Haley do it because i was learning for the first time and just really trying to soak everything up and i remember watching the first couple of rehearsals thinking oh man i'm so fascinated to find out what this progression is going to be because i don't know this model i don't know how this is done i know how a theater's production is put on but i don't know how this specifically is done through a music therapy mindset um, and an inclusive mindset. And so it was really, it really does need to be like researched and documented and developed because, you know, the first couple of weeks we were doing a lot of almost like music therapy sessions where we started with a greeting. We did some movement and sensory regulation. We moved into um, dancing to one of the songs with scarves. And then towards the end, we were starting to learn one of the songs by rote, just in pieces a little bit at a time. And then we ended with the more we get together, together every single week. That was our closing song. So mm-hmm. there was always a structure there that was tying everything together. And then by the time we got to true rehearsals, true run throughs, I think everybody just felt so safe and secure in what was going on there. And they knew what to expect that everybody just sort of fell in and, and did what they needed to do. So I would second that, that it would be really cool if, if this was accessible in like a guidebook or a research article or something to say, you know, here's here's how it works. And obviously you can adapt this. It's not like we're going to be proprietary about it, but it is doable. And there is a way that you can um, make it successful if you follow kind of these basic guidelines. Right. Sorry. Well, I, I was going to say, I do know that Katie did her thesis on inclusive musical theater and came up with some kind of framework, something that has just and a lot of information on it. I don't know where that is, like how you how someone were to access that. <laughs> so I believe it is under her maiden name, which is Katie Martin. And she did her master's at KU, University of Kansas. So I don't know if you can Google Katie Martin, University of Kansas, 
pieces. Also, you just like reach out to someone on the music therapy and beyond team. We can like get you connected if you really want some access to that. We'll get you connected with Katie. I wonder if it's something where you could follow up and partner with Andrea to maybe get something put in the perspectives journal or something where you kind of do more of a qualitative, like here's something that we did and here's how it went. And, um, and then Katie's thesis is like, you know, this resource for that. And Andrea is also a resource for it historically having done it so many times. The documentary, I'm going to get the website on the other side of the fence.com takes you to the, to the, um, the page where the documentary um, it won an Emmy, um, but it's you know and it's been seen, uh, but not I bet you I bet you most music therapy people do not know about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it does show 30 years you know it shows the whole progression of like from that first beginning when I told you when I first you know thought about creating it, um, but yeah and there was another documentary that was done. Um, many years before that called something magical um that was well it doesn't really matter now what that is but i think that this is like something it's it's got it it exists it's now a tangible thing that's had that's actually had a lot of success in with many different groups so i think it would be wonderful either to get a university that might want to participate in developing this in some way or a group of people that like yourselves that have had the experience but you'll do hopefully you're going to do more of this so you'll get to be able to even get more and more into it right that's the plan yeah (laughs) that's great Haley's got to go off and have a baby for a minute and then we're going to hope that (laughs) we can do it again (laughs) and we'll come back and do it again oh my goodness well, that's a wonderful reason to go. Yes, right? We'll accept that reason <laughs> as a, yeah, I I think, um, yeah, it'll be cool. We're excited to share the documentary with people and um, just some links to learn more about your show. And, um, and hopefully this podcast will just inspire people if this isn't enough for them to really understand and want to do it, to reach out to someone on our team and for us to help connect them with somebody to really just dive in and try this out because music therapists are very collaborative and supportive and we want other music therapists to be successful. So, um, yeah, I want them to have this information and to be able to, to just go for it. Wonderful. And the uh, the other thing I I really do want to do is, um, I've gone to some universities and done workshops. Like I was at Marymount College in St. Louis, and I worked for like two days with student music therapy students. And I, I'm talking about this, and then I had them create their own like little. Um, what would they write if they were going to write a musical? What would it be? And because many of them said, "I can't write a musical. I can't do this." But I, they really started something. And um, but I would like to do more of that. So if anybody out there hears me talking now, okay, I, I would love to, um, I love working with students and I love to inspire people to, to be creative, especially music therapists. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we, I think we kind of already gave a lot of advice just within our natural conversation here, but I'd love to give you one last opportunity if there's anything you could say to encourage 
a music therapist to just take the step of trying this, whether it's your production or somebody else's, what would you say to them? I would say that to not be afraid um, to uh, to grow and expand um, their skill. We all get stuck uh, in our own uh, skill level, and we think that you know we can't. Somehow, it's hard to get out of that. To realize that um, we we can be more creative. Um, we can not just play in the key of C or the key of G or the key of F, which is mostly what I play in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we can we can we can go further, you know, with our skills to to not get stuck and not be afraid or think that we can't do it. Um, so I would say that first thing is to tap into your creative self and to uh, be your own, you know, cheerleader to realize that you if you need to expand the more you expand your musical abilities the more possibilities there are for you um and i then i also the next thing i would say is and that would that would include like improvisation a lot of music therapists don't realize that they're afraid to improvise but it's really not that hard i would i would love to do workshops on that too because i would have people improvising like right away um the other part is just the whole psych aspect to this. I would say that, you know, expanding courses in school and just kind of how do you lead a group? You know, you talk both talked about this too. You know, when you're with a group of kids and you've got all of these different kids with all of these different needs and you've got parents and everything, how how are you as a music therapist from a psychological point of view? How do you handle that? and then integrate it into the musical experience. That's it's just really interesting. But I would say psych, you know, know what you're doing um and then also be the best musician you can be. I think that's great advice. I wonder um Haley if you would have anything to add as somebody who's done this a couple of times now. What would you say to encourage somebody I would echo Andrea's first comment of just do it and add in, Andrea, I can't imagine the first production of this and it seemed like it was, you were very solo on all of it because my next piece of advice would be to find a wonderful team to support you in that. So you don't have to worry about all of the pieces you can delegate some of those and have people in like just in just different roles to support um if you're you can do it by yourself but if you have help i think it'll make the whole process for you like feel better we've got to work together yes Yes. (laughs) we've got to try Yes, that's fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm just so thrilled that you were willing to have this conversation with us because it's so timely. We're just fresh off of the production and still feeling all of the excitement from that and in the process of reflecting and debriefing and thinking about, okay, when we do this again, what are we going to do the next time? Um, so this has been really informative and helpful and inspiring for me personally to just have a little bookend on this experience for myself um, to really, yeah, just wrap this up in a really pretty bow and get excited to to do it again in the future. So thank you so much for, for being here. 
I can't wait to see some of the video and some photos and um, to see what's in store for you in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Both of you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You also can purchase digital downloads of fantastic clinical resources from our shop at musictherapyandbeyond.com. For Patreon users, all patrons of Music Therapy and Beyond get access to exclusive resources, shop discounts, and more. Have a great day. We can't wait to connect with you on one of our platforms.